We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. It is episode 710 today as we are going to break down some projections that our very own Tyler Grzegorek has made for the team, mostly on offense and through their strength of schedule as well. But first, I hope you guys are all having a very safe and happy Fourth of July weekend if you're listening in the States. If you're listening outside the United States, just a safe and happy regular weekend. And also, congratulations go out from all of the Pack-A-Day team. To everyone's favorite left tackle and pitch perfect fanboy David Bakhtiari on the on the occasion of his engagement on Friday night. So congratulations to Bach and all the best of luck from all of us here at the Pack a Day podcast. My name is Mike Wellman and joining me as usual, Tyler Grezegork. And and Tyler, how's your weekend been and how's everything going? Uh, well, yesterday the the wife is off, so we just kind of relax. Uh, today we're going to cook some burgers and uh, do some probably equal amount of relaxing after we're done recording. So. Um, I hope everybody's having a happy and safe 4th of July, uh, even during this, these, these unusual times, we'll call them. So um, hopefully everybody's able still to celebrate and um, understand the true meaning of uh, actually July 4th. So uh, if you don't know what I mean, go ahead and look it up because it's not quite what uh, you know, the media cracks up to be sometimes. But anyway, hopefully you're not being woken up by fireworks in the middle of the night because fireworks are a little bit overrated. But uh, I know last night I was. I don't know if you were, Mike, but there was definitely tons of fireworks over here by me in uh, Phoenix. 
Yeah, I, I kept myself up a little bit just because I have three dogs, so it's I just I just stayed safe and we didn't have too many. But as we're obviously we're recording this on the fourth, so we'll see how it goes tonight and we'll see how that ends up going. But you, you're right; it's they can be a little overrated, and and we'll see how things go. But I think it's time for us to jump right back into some football stuff. Is you came up with with a pretty nifty little formula here to do some projections. It's it's a large part based for fantasy, but it also has a tells a great story of what the Packers could be doing this year on offense. So uh, I'll just let you explain what's going on, and then we'll jump right into it. And then I think we'll start with the quarterbacks. Yeah. So you know when when you start building a projection, it's really actually quite difficult to do because you have to factor in so many different things. Um, and when I started building out my projections uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I would I would get to a point where I'm like, oh man, I finally feel really good about this, and then I figure out that I forgot to include sacks in my passing equation, and you know I got to remove the sacks from the passing attempts, you know, so just little stuff like that. Um, but basically, the what I've done here is for each and every single team in the NFL, I've gone through and I've calculated the amount of plays that team is going to run this year, or what I think they're going to run this year, and also a run pass split for each team. With that comes sacks that team's going to give up, which then leads me to be able to, um, depending on the quarterback for each team, derive a possible stat line for each quarterback. Uh, so just to kind of get started here with the Packers, um, my little projection model spat, spat out that they're going to run 1,020 plays in, in 2020, um, and 56.7% of those are a nifty 578 of those are going to be passing attempts which leads to a 544 passing attempt number for Aaron Rodgers. Um, now, Aaron Rodgers, I, as, you, as you do these things, you notice kind of some of maybe the decline of some of these players. And unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers' we'll call them boom performances are starting to go down. However, he's still a very efficient quarterback. And um, when, when he, I put it into the model, he ended up with a 63.7% completion percentage, which is still pretty good. Um, but I, I'm actually looking for that number to possibly be higher in 2020. Um, and that, that number really feeds into really everything else that is calculated for Aaron Rodgers. So um, just real quick, uh, I'll go over this, and then, Mike, we can discuss it real quick. So uh, I, I came up with a 63.7% completion for Aaron Rodgers on 544 passing attempts uh, with 7.18 yards per completion. That leads to 3,908 yards for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he has a career passing percentage over the last three years. I believe I used uh, the last three years is 5.53%, which leads to 30 touchdowns. Um, and he has still, over the last uh, three years, he has a 1.15 uh, interception percentage, which is outstanding uh, no matter who the quarterback is, what age they are. Uh, 1.15 is super low. Um, and, and it feeds into Aaron Rodgers' all-time uh, career low interception rate. So uh, 1.15 interception percentage leads to six, intercep- six interceptions for Aaron Rodgers, and uh, he's he's not gonna you know he's not gonna lose his legs. I still have him putting up about 250 yards and putting up a couple rushing scores this year. So uh, after going through that, Mike, what are your some what are some of your thoughts on that stat line, and where do you think I could be wrong, and where do you think he might do worse or do better? Uh, I think the biggest thing is about to me is is honestly the six interceptions. Because I, I do think with how careful he is with the ball and how much he's they're going to rely on the running game this year, especially with with the with the uncertain times we're in and with limited training camp, limited preseason, you got to think that running the ball might be just a little bit easier, just in theory, that they might rely on that 
maybe even a little bit more than what they're doing, and so that might lead to maybe fewer attempts and by by proxy fewer interceptions or fewer interception opportunities. So I wonder if with the way things are going as far as how the world is and with everything in the NF, with everything that's going on, if that'll change the system a little bit and 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 the Packers will rely less on Aaron Rodgers this year and more on the three running backs that that could lead the the numbers to go down just a little bit, especially the yards and interceptions. Uh, the other thing that sticks out to me is is the sack number, uh, 34 sacks. I know it doesn't seem like a ton, but with the offensive line the Packers have, that that's very interesting, and, and they are facing some tough defenses, but I was surprised to see the number that high. Well, just to provide you some perspective, I think there was only five or six teams that had less last year. So, I mean, 34, in my opinion, is still pretty good. Um, I think that was a sack percentage of about 5%, so once every 20 dropbacks, which I think is pretty fair, and especially considering you're going to be downgrading from Bulaga to Wagner. Um, we don't quite know what's going on at right guard yet. So when you start to factor in those things, I think 34 is actually maybe a little low. Um, but I completely agree with you on the interceptions. Unfortunately, the way I build my model, it's pretty statistically based. There's not a ton of objectivity for me, um, but... Man, 1.15 leading to six interceptions. We're sitting here saying that's too high, and we're both in agreement. I mean, that's just the type of quarterback that we have in Green Bay. And it's pretty amazing to talk about the fact that six interceptions is probably going to be too high for him this year. Um, and so I, I think overall, I think the this, this represents a slight decline for Aaron Rodgers. I think, I think that it falls in line with the way that he's been playing the last few years. Um but I do think that there's still some wiggle room here, and uh, I'm really interested to see um, how many passing attempts he actually gets this year. Because I had him projected at about a 56% clip uh, for the team passing rate, um, and this, this past year they were just under, I think just under 60%. And so uh, I dropped it a few more percentage points um, just to give some more bump to the run game, because I do agree with you. I think that there's going to be a significant um, a significant contribution from the run game this year. Uh, so with that, why don't we move into the running backs? Um, we can just cover the top three. Um, I have Dexter Williams listed as the RB4 for this team in 2020, but um, the stat line is rather insignificant. So we can move into the top three running backs, which would be Aaron Jones. And I actually have A.J. Dillon listed as the RB2 uh, with Jamal Williams as the RB3. Now, I think Jamal Williams' role is not necessarily going to be one of a productive standpoint. And what I mean by that is I think he's going to be a fine role player for this team in 2020. Unfortunately, that's not going to lead to a lot of stat production. Um, I, I just think that he's going to be the guy that they rely on, maybe on a goal line that they really need, a short yard that they really need, or a big pass blocking situation. Those types of things are going to be Jamal Williams' bread and butter. Uh, he'll be in there to kind of mix things up. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a focal point statistically. So with that said, Jamal Williams, uh, I had him projected at getting about 10% of the carries, uh, actually about 11% of the carries, uh, and coming out with about 194 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns, uh, putting together a couple receptions, but nothing significant. So what, what are your thoughts on Jamal Williams, Mike, and what his role could be in 2020? I agree with you. I think his role is going to be much reduced. He's going to be a blocker. He's going to be that safe option where you need him on like a third down. Like a third and long, you're going to bring him in there protect Aaron Rodgers and let, and, and let him get some of those short yard, yardage hammer plays, If especially early on with A.J. Dillon getting used to the NFL game. And and I think the big surprise with me with, with Jamal is the the 4.14 yards per attempt. He, he's never been a guy who's 
who's going to put up that kind of a big number. He's always been kind of like that three yards in a cloud of dust type runner. Drive his head forward, not lose yards, but he also doesn't break many big runs. The one he did break last year in Detroit was a surprising one, and it kind of threw everyone off guard. So I think that's what surprises me the most, that and the fact when you go from RB2 to RB3, the difference in receptions, I think, is surprising. Because you have, with what we have A.J. Dillon, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute or so, that you have a 32-catch difference between him and Jamal Williams is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, and I... I this one, this one was tough for me. This this specific dilemma between the RB2 and the RB3 in Green Bay, I don't know how balanced um, LeFleur wants to be between those two. Um, I can almost certainly say I like where Aaron Jones ended up in this, and we'll cover him in a minute. But between RB2 and RB3, uh, there could be a little bit more balance than what I projected there to be. Um, and these numbers are pretty pretty dependent upon what they did last year with Jamal Williams. So if the, if, AJ Dale, if AJ Dillon comes in this year and he legitimately struggles uh, in the passing game or they just deem him not not relevant in the passing game and they'd rather just use him as a straight runner, then yeah, I think he will absorb a lot of the numbers that I projected for AJ Dillon um, in, in this in this model. And the 4.14 yards per carry for Jamal Williams, uh, that's pretty much a career number for him. I, I don't think there's much influence anywhere else on that. Uh, his his uh, attempt for, or yards per carry is, has been pretty low, and but that's fine. That's that's the kind of running back he's been, um, and I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, naturally, when the volume goes down for him, he's just going to have less statistics that are produced. Uh, with that being said, let's move into AJ Dillon, who is the RB two in this offense for me. Um, I have him. Uh, you, you talked about the target rate for A.J. Dillon as compared to Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams had a 1.02% target. Uh, that, cert- that number certainly could go up. Um, I, I think that I need a little bit more information on my end to make that call. But A.J. Dillon came in with an 8.3% target rate, so there's quite a bit of a gap there, uh, which led to 45 targets, 36 catches for 300 yards. And, you know, that... Those numbers between Dylan and Williams, I, I'm almost inclined to say they would actually be closer to even, if not favoring Jamal Williams a little bit more. But like I said, this is what they did last year, so I want to see if LaFleur truly does adjust that for the personnel he has. Um, I do think that uh, A.J. Dillon is going to bear the uh, load in terms of carries, though. Uh, uh, my system produced Jamal Williams having a, a number of 47 carries uh, over the course of the 2020 season. That's about three carries a game. Um, when you look at A.J. Dillon, uh, I have him projected to get 115 carries uh, and coming in at just under 500 yards and with five touchdowns. That touchdown number to me is one that could go up a little bit, even though five touchdowns is pretty decent for a rookie coming in. Um, but if he truly gets all the goal line work, then Aaron Jones is going to lose some of his touchdowns, and A.J. Dillon's going to get some of them as well. And I think that's really where his numbers could go up. His yards could go down, his carries could go down, and they could go to Jamal Williams, uh, depending on the balance that Matt LaFleur uh, really wants to put into this offense. So now that we have Dillon and Williams, what are your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I'm with you to an extent. And you talk about the, the touchdowns. It's nine total for Dillon, the five rushing, four receiving and I, th- I think the big thing is, obviously, these are very stats-based, so I agree with you as far as that goes. I just think personally, from a like a coaching standpoint, early in the season, with a limited camp and a limited preseason, that Jamal Williams will get more of the run early on. But as we get colder, as we get later in the year, and Dylan gets more accustomed to the NFL game, he'll turn into Corey Dylan, 
and he'll and he'll become what you're projecting that big hammer back. So I, I think the stats for both will be kind of in between. I think for each. So I think we may see 350 yards for Dylan, about maybe 300 yards for Williams. Kind of kind of like that mix. And, and and receiving, I think it'll be split a little bit more as well. But but I I, I see where you're coming from. I see your projections and. And if AJ Dillon does this as a rookie, we're in very good hands going forward because those are those are some impressive numbers for a running back that big and and that young and that inexperienced. If he if he can come in and catch over thirty passes, average over four yards, and and score nine total touchdowns as a rookie, that that could may lead to a very tough decision with Aaron Jones at the end of the year. I completely agree, and I think the thing to really take away from from this part of the exercise with A.J. Dillon, Jamal Williams, there will be a significant role for that second and possibly third running back in this offense. Aaron Jones is going to be the RB1 for the Packers. However, there is a there is a productive role to be had behind him, and I think that's ultimately what we need to take away from this exercise. So with that being said, let's move into Aaron Jones. Um, so Aaron Jones is... Uh, Targets are actually going to be pretty significant. 74 targets is pretty good for a running back coming out of the backfield. And I think I think that's definitely a number that he could see. Uh, 74 by 16 is about four targets a game, four and a half targets a game. So that's pretty good, I think. And I think that's ultimately what we'll see him at. Uh, I think LeFleur really wants to get him involved in a lot of different ways. And that's why they brought in Dylan so they can kind of ease the load uh, on Jones from a play-to-play, snap-to-snap basis. So with that number, uh, Jones's catch rate is actually a little bit below average for running backs. He comes in at a 69% catch rate. Uh, so he's got 51 catches for 480 yards, three catches, uh, three touchdowns. Um, this is the number uh, that I really want to talk about, though, the 218 rushing attempts. 218 rushing attempts for Aaron Jones. I don't know if we think that's too high or too low, but that 218 rushing attempts get him get, would get him over 1,000 yards based off of his career uh, rush yards per carry, uh, put him at 1,028, and it would get him 12 rushing touchdowns, 15 total when you factor in the receiving. Um, what do we think of that rushing attempt number for Aaron Jones, Mike? Uh, I think that's pretty accurate. I think they're going to try and keep him safe. I think projecting a playoff spot, I think they're going to try and be smart with Aaron Jones this year and, and keep him fresh. So I think a little over 200 is solid, especially if you're going to use him a lot in the passing game. Especially if we see Jones and Dylan together on the field at times with Jones out in the slot, that'll save him some wear and tear as well. So I think, I think the two eighteens is smart, just under half. I think that's, I think that's what Matt Lafleur wants. I mean, when you look at what he did in in, in Tennessee, I think that was similar. Like they did, like they they split pretty well, but especially with Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. So I think we're gonna see a similar number from Aaron Jones, and I don't think we're gonna expect what he did last year, but I think. What he does this year, I think is, I think this is probably the most accurate stat line. I think I'll, I'll we'll see on this spreadsheet of everyone. That's fair, and I, I tend to agree because I do believe he's going to be the focal point, and the offense last year dictated, and the the moves this year in the off season really dictated that as well. So let's move into the receivers now. Um, Let's start from the bottom. Uh, this is a this is such a, a fluid situation here. Um, but wide receiver six, if they even carry six wide receivers, uh, that's just how many I put into my depth chart. I have Jake Kumaro listed. Um, wide receiver five, I have Equinemius St. Brown. Wide receiver four, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Three is Devin Funches. Two is Lazard, and one is Devontae Adams. So, 
we'll start with, uh, I think Judy Kumaro's stat line is rather uh, insignificant just because that, that position is probably going to be, it's probably going to house a lot of different names over the season. Um, but let's go with EQ as wide receiver five. Do you think that's too high or too low for him? Honestly, I think it's going to depend on how the early portions of camp go and if he can prove he's healthy. Uh, whether whether two through five are very flexible positions uh, between Lazard, Funches, MVS, and, and EQ. So I think it's going to all depend on on who builds the chemistry with Aaron Rodgers the fastest. And MVS has a lot to prove. Lazard's going to have some to prove. EQ's got to prove he's healthy. Funches has to prove that he can bounce right into a new system right away and, and show up. And So I think I think it's going to be very, very flexible, especially early on between those four, those four guys. So it's going to be, it's going to be very fascinating to see. So I don't know exactly for sure outside of Ante Adams. So that's going to be fascinating. But I, I want to say also before we jump into the series completely, in the beginning I congratulated David Bakhtiari. We also got to congratulate Aaron Jones oh, yeah. uh, from the from the Packety <laughs> team for one his video game skills and two on the on, on the birth of his child. So congratulations to Aaron Jones RB one. <laughs> It's it's been a, it's been a good weekend for the Packers players, so a very happy weekend. It has been so all the all the best from the Packetty team to both Bakhtiari and to Aaron Jones, and ho- hopefully it leads to more happy times as well during the season as well, and happy times for the families. But jumping back to the receivers, yeah, I don't know what to think between those four, uh, and but the between the catch race that they all get, it's 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 interesting to see EQ. Only with eight receptions, mm-hmm. uh, I, even coming back from injury, I, that that does seem low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I, th- I can see all four guys at around thirty. Honestly, I think Lazard could drop down. I think EQ could jump up. And uh, the way the, the way the team likes to balance things, I can see. I I just can see those those four guys seeing fairly even as far as how what the targets end up being because the target and even the target range between MVS and EQ is so vast that it's kind of a surprise. I think MVS might drop down a little bit just because he hasn't proven that he can be a, a completely reliable target right now. That's fair. I think I think MVS's role is going to turn into more of a situational one where it's like, hey, we're going to go five, four wide receivers in this in this this package and we're going to, we need a big play. MVS, you're on, you're going to press, you're going to press the deep, the deep coverage and we're going to really going to see what you can do there. I, I honestly think that's going to be more of a role for MVS this year. And so his targets might actually go down, but his productivity per target might increase just because I feel like he's going to become very, when MVS is on the field, they're targeting him deep type thing. Um, and so I tend to agree. It's just tough because the, the wide receiver situation last season was so messed up. Um, throughout the year um, that it's hard to get a good picture uh, of what it was supposed to look like. And um, I'll just go through the target percentages real quick. You talked about the low target percentage and the different gap between uh, EQ and MVS. So I only have EQ getting 2.5% of the targets. So it's not necessarily um, saying that he's not going to be able to get open. It's not necessarily saying any of that. That's based on what they did last year. And it's kind of hard to say that they'll do the same this year. Um, because there's going to be, as you said, one, two, three, four guys that could all slide into that wide receiver two role. And so with that being said, going into wide receiver three, I have them getting 9.6% of the targets, which is a shade under 10. 
I think that's about the league. That's actually higher than the league average for a wide receiver four. Uh, so in the case of the Packers, probably going to be spreading the ball around a little bit more. Um, Funches and Lazard pretty much have identical target percentages, about 11%. So they're going to get similar amount of work, I think. Um, one number I really want to touch on here, which could separate all four of these guys, is Lazard has a significantly higher catch percentage than any of these four guys. Career-wise, which is not much considering the guys we're talking about, Funches has the longest career of these four, but Lazard has averaged a 67, 60, almost 68% catch rate, which is pretty freaking good for a wide receiver, um, a 68% catch rate throughout his first two years in the league. So looking at... Um, Looking at that, I think that that is his path to becoming the name for wide receiver two. Um, ultimately, though, I think you're right, Mike. I think there's going to be a little bit more spread around. The, the targets are a little more spread around. So let's get into then um, MVS's numbers real quick. 52 targets, 26 catches, about a 50% catch rate with 345 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I think... When I look at that stat line, I think his receiving touchdowns per catch could go up. I think that we could be we could see something like 22 catches, four touchdowns, or something like that. You know, a guy who comes in and, like I said, just kind of has the big play. I think he'll have a high yards per reception ratio, and I think he'll have a decently high receiving touchdown per reception ratio. Uh, what are your thoughts there, um, and compared to last year, probably, uh, and the role that they had for him? Yeah, I definitely think his role will be reduced. He won't be relied to play as many snaps as he, as he did last year, and that's thanks to Lazard and Funches being there and hopefully EQ being healthy as well. Uh, I, I think the thing that's, that surprised me is, besides even just that, is uh, is these is minor, but you give him a rushing attempt, and I think I think that's I don't think he's going to get any things in the backfield or even like a jet jet screen. I think that'll go to EQ just because of the connection he has with Rodgers. But I think with MVS. He'll be, when he's on there, I think he, he's going to at the very least open things up enough. And people don't factor in, again, how tall he is either. So I think they might even try a couple jump balls deep to him to let him let – him, that, that'll make it easier, I think, for him to track the ball instead of having to look over the shoulder or look or look a different direction. I think having him go up and get the ball, I think, will, will help him. So I do think that – I think that, that target rate could be solid. But, but I agree with you. I think we may see a, a drop in receptions, but an uptick in touchdowns just by the fact, just by nature of what they're going to use him for. He's going to be that deep threat. He's going to be that guy just, to, like you said, we're going to have four wide receivers out there, just go run and and go beat, beat, try and beat the press and get down the field. And if you're open, we'll hit you. But if, if not, at the very least, we took another corner off, essentially off the field for the rest of these guys. So I think with MVS, his role is going to be, much more defined than it was his first two seasons, and I think that's going to help him a lot because last last year I think he was asked to do a little bit too much, especially with injuries hitting and and there being no reliable wide receiver too. Obviously, John Amon, but I, I think with him he's going to be a guy who's going to be relied on to do one job and one job well, and that, and that, I think that'll help for him as he continues to develop as a wide receiver. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, and speaking of defined roles, I think Devin Funches is going to fall into that boat as well. Um, I think the, Alan Lazard and Devin Funches, I have them, in, I have them in line for about the same amount of targets. But with Alan Lazard being much more productive because he has that higher catch rate, uh, Devin Funches is hovering around 50% for his career so far, uh, which is not necessarily ideal. But 
He's a jump ball receiver. Uh, Rodgers loves those type of receivers, and I think that he's going to have a role in Green Bay this year. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but if I had to pick one, I would say it's going to be that red zone threat. Um, I've talked about this before. In the past, Devontae Adams has been that guy for Aaron Rodgers. He's been the guy that Aaron Rodgers has looked to in the red zone to really be his safety blanket. I think we're going to see Devin Funches and even Alan Lazard kind of fall into that role this year and kind of take some of the load off of Devontae Adams in that way. And I think that will allow Matt LaFleur to open some things up in that way. But looking at Devin Funches and Alan Lazard, uh, starting with Funches, he's got about 50% catch rate, so that gives him 61 targets and 32 catches for 383 yards, just a few more than uh, Mark Wesvelda Scantling, um, with three touchdowns, and also three touchdowns for Alan Lazard, but he has 501 yards on 42 catches. So same amount of targets, uh, 10 more catches, 100 more yards, same amount of touchdowns. I think that's pretty fair. Those touchdown numbers could go up a little bit if they truly do become red zone um, red zone targets for Aaron Rodgers, which is indicated in my actually decreased stat line for Devontae Adams, which I know you're going to combat me on that. But when I'm looking at um, those three, so Lazard, Funches, and MVS, their roles, do we think that these all three of these guys kind of fall into, all right, you're kind of like a fluid wide receiver too with, when you factor in EQ, but your skill set's going to dictate when you're on the field type thing. Yeah, I think skill set and also opponent. Uh, obviously, a, a team like, say, San Francisco, where they're going to play a lot a lot of physical play, I think we'll see a little bit more of guys like Lazard out there. Whereas you're playing a team that can play off, you'll see a little, maybe a little more speed with MVS. So I, th- I think it all depends. And also, I do think those those touchdown numbers will increase a little bit. I do think, I think Funches will get some more red zone targets, uh, especially because when I look at your Matthew, uh, I'm I'm minus two right now. I think there's two more touchdowns that are under that are unaccounted for from Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think I would give those to Funches. He'll take that Jimmy Graham type role in the red zone. They'll he'll get the jump balls. He'll get he'll get the targets. And I do think his catch rate will go up this year, mostly just because he's playing with Aaron Rodgers. And it, it, this is no knock on on Cam Newton, but he he's not the accurate quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is. And I think that at times hurt. Funches' catch rate playing with Cam Newton opposite Kelvin Benjamin in a, at times, very dysfunctional offense in Carolina. I do think that'll spike up a little bit, but Alan Lazard's rate is unreal at almost 68%. So I think I think he's going to probably be the second leading receiver as far as yards go. But I do think Funches will probably have more touchdowns. I think he's going to get more of the chances in the red zone because of his pure leaping ability and athleticism. And at his size, that's something that that's rare in the NFL. He, and he just needs to put it together. Plus, he's on that prove-it contract. So I, so I think from just the coaching or fan perspective, I think Lazard will have more catches and more yards, but Funches will have more t- touchdowns. And okay. I think they'll they'll they, I think they'll combine to be a, a a pretty good wide receiver too. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a good way of looking at it. Is um, I think Devonte Adams is going to play a lot more in the slot than what we've initially projected. Um, I think he's going to find a really good home there, actually. I think that that's going to really open up a lot of things for LaFleur, which, with that being said, I think that you kind of have, we'll say, three wide receivers, um, three wide receiver types, we'll say. Um, and MVS is kind of a weird weird part of this conversation, but you basically have your one outside receiver and you have your second outside receiver. Uh, the second one, the first one, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is going to be that big, tall, strong guy. And the second one is going to be, okay, 
what do I need to do on this play? Do I need to run a deep in? Do I need to run a slant? Do I need to run a go? Like, what do I need to do with this with this, set, this third wide receiver um, on this play? And I think that's really where we're going to get MVS and EQ, and then you're going to have Fontes and Lazard kind of working um, working on the other side, and you're going to have Devontae working on the slot with uh, with Sternberger working in the slot or in line, uh, with DeGuara doing different things with him. It's going to be really interesting to see how the floor uses all these personnel to really, really put together an offense in 2020. Um, I think EQ will be in the slot a little bit as well. Yes, definitely. I think he'll be like, well, I think he'll be like slot wide receiver too. But I think that Devontae Adams, honestly, is going to be um, working in the slot a little bit more than what he did last year. So with that being said, Devontae Adams is stat line. So I have him coming in at 133 targets, which I think is pretty, uh, still pretty good considering I think that there's going to be a decreased workload in the past game this year. Um, with 83 catches, uh, just shy of 1,000 yards again, with 931, seven touchdowns, um, which that is in part due to the arrival of Devin Funches and then the emergence of Alan Lazard and the drafting of Josiah DeGuara and the emergence of Jay Sternberger, I think those touchdown numbers are naturally going to go down for Devontae Adams because he's not necessarily a big play threat. That's not necessarily what he does well, but he's just very efficient. And when you get him into the red zone, there's just not a lot of ground to work with. So he, when, he, when that efficiency turns into the red zone, it really turns into a lot of touchdowns. And it's been a huge benefit for him uh, the last few years. And I think we're going to see a dip in the touchdown numbers this year. Um, and I do think he gets involved in the rushing game a little bit. I think that the floor is going to get a little, we'll call it gadgety, and he'll he'll use uh, Devontae Adams in a couple different ways, and I think he'll get some carries this year. So I have him slated for six carries, which is rather negligent, but I think that the point is there. He's going to get some carries, I think, and some, some attempts to make a play that way. So what do you think of this stat line for Devontae Adams? Uh. I- it's interesting, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think everything's pretty accurate, I think, except the yards. Okay. Uh, I, I honestly think he's going to go over 1,000. I think it's not only going to be a, a concerted, concerted effort, but I, I do think him and Aaron Rodgers are both going to be kind of sick of hearing that he's only went over 1,000 yards once, even though he was three yards short in two separate years. Uh, I, th- I think he's going to have a, a pretty solid yardage year. I think 931 is a little bit low. But I understand how you got that number as well. So I understand with the way things are going, I think with the way targets will be spread around with three tight ends who you can trust, maybe even four, if depending on what we can expect from Robert Tanyan. And I was also surprised also just kind of going off topic a little bit that on the running back side, you didn't have anything with Tyler Irvin because that could also factor into some some those gadgety plays or slot targets. But I do think with Devontae Adams, I think 83, 83 catches – I think that that makes sense. It could be a couple more, but I think in the 80s, I think, is where he'll be, because especially if it only is 56% pass. I think that does change things. I think that does drop his catch totals. But I, I do think, especially if he's working out of the slot, he, he's going to have more space to operate. He'll have a few more big plays, and I think that'll let him get a few more yards as well. Fair enough. And I, I tend to agree. I think that the yardage number came in a little bit low, Um because, like I said, I, I largely use averages when I start going through these different things, and so it doesn't really account for the, the number of big plays that a player is going to get. Um, all right, let's move into the tight ends then before we, we've got a couple other things to discuss before we get off of here. But um, moving into the tight ends, I, I only list three here. I know the Packers might be carrying four, but I only list the three. Uh, so Robert Tanya would be the tight end four, uh, but again, rather negligent stat line. I don't think that he would be enough to really warrant um, – 
so the purpose of me doing this ultimately is for fantasy. Uh, and if you follow me, you know that I, I use these four uh, articles that I write and stuff. So tight end four would be rather negligent, so I just usually don't include it. But the tight end three I have is Mercedes Lewis. Um, Adam getting just a couple catches, uh, but no touchdowns. I think that he I think that he resumes that primarily blocking role that we saw him in last year. Uh, I don't even remember how many catches he had last year. It just wasn't a lot. But he. I think that's the role we see him in again this year. Um, do you have any problems with Mercedes Lewis only getting five catches, eight targets, 50 yards? No, I think that's pretty accurate, especially if we see more of an emergence from the other two tight ends. I mean, last year Lewis was t- was tight end two, so we kind of had to do a little bit more, and he had he had better numbers last year. But I, I remember the year under McCarthy, and he they did they did nothing with him. I think it'll be different this year. He'll get a good amount of snaps. He'll be he'll be the blocker. I think he made him. They may give him a touchdown or two. We may see another big dog play, but I do think with with the the two young tight ends ahead of him, as far as as three these rankings go, there's just not many targets to go around. And if they do go three tight ends, he's probably going to be the check down or the last option for for Rogers. So I think I think maybe he'll get three or four more catches, but it's it's negligent at this point. I do think or negligible. I do think that the other tight ends will get more of a run in the passing game than Mercedes. I completely agree. So that brings us into Deguara. And so um, this is one that I'm actually looking at right now, and I think that it might be a little bit off. But I only have Deguara getting about 3.5% of the targets total in the team, which gave me 19 targets total, 13 catches for 135 yards and a touchdown. You, you know, I I don't know what the Packers seen ha- have seen in Deguara um, I'll just be quite frank. I was not as high on him as a third-round pick. I, I envisioned him more as a late-round pick when they took him, and so I did not think that he was as good of a receiver uh, as the Packers apparently think that he is. Um, however, the 19 targets is probably a little low for a guy who's probably going to be on the field quite a bit considering his skill set and what they want to do with them. Um, but 19 targets, 13 catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. What are your thoughts on that for DeGuara? DeGuara is such an interesting case because he's a fairly high draft pick. He's very versatile. But again, we, like we talked about earlier with A.J. Dillon, with the way the world is at this point, how long is it going to take him to be NFL ready and be ready to be on the field consistently early on? So that makes me think that these numbers could be more accurate than, than we think. But I also think that they're gonna if they use him right, they'll they'll do to him what they should have used with Danny Vitale last year, which is use him as a matchup nightmare wherever it is. If you line him at H back, a linebacker's gonna have problems with him. If you put him in the slot, a corner's gonna have problems with him. However, I I don't think he's gonna be much of a red zone threat at least early on. He's gonna be that middle of the field type guy, that guy you can trust to get seven eight yards if he needed. He'll he'll run to the sticks, turn around, and the ball will be there. So I think with DeGuara, if he can prove that he's ready to go, I think we'll see an uptick in these numbers. But if it's going to take four or five weeks to get ready and get used to the NFL game, then these can be pretty accurate, especially if Jay Sternberger can stay healthy, if these receivers can be on the field, and if the running game is clicking. So so it's it all depends on situational stuff for DeGuara as far as how these how accurate these projections can be. 
I completely agree. And moving into Jay Sternberger, I think this is also an interesting case to talk about because I want to see how involved they actually get a tight end. Um, Jimmy Graham actually was relatively involved, and that's why uh, Sternberger's target percent is actually kind of high. Um, it's 11.2%, which is right in line with Lazard and Funches in terms of the amount that uh, the offense and Rodgers looked that that position's way. Um, Jimmy Graham just didn't capitalize a lot. And, that, and that's what I that's the thing I want to stress here is that Jimmy Graham was still an important part of that Packers offense. It's unfortunate that he was unable to capitalize on a lot of the situ- on a lot of the opportunities that was provided to him, not only by Aaron Rodgers and, and, and his magic sometimes, but just by the offense and the way that his schemes up plays. There were plenty of opportunities for Jimmy Graham to make a huge mark on last year. I think Jay Sternberger can really fulfill that role. I have him getting 61 targets, which is right in line with Funches and Lazard, like I said. Uh, 40 catches, 434 yards, and three touchdowns. I think that the yards could go up a little bit. I think we see him attack the middle. I think we see him attack the scene. Um, and there, there's going to be 15, 20, 25-yard chunks at times for Jay Sternberger, I think. Um, and I think the touchdown number could go up a little bit too, but uh, there's only so many to go around. So, you know, uh, like you said, uh, I only have – I think I only had two remaining from the 30, uh, and you start counting out everybody else's. Um, you know, where those go – they could be. Uh, they could go to Guara. They could go. They could go to back to Adams. They could go. They could go anywhere. I think. Um, but Sternberger, I think, is one of the prime candidates where if those touchdowns could go, those extra touchdowns. Um, but what do you think of the 430 yards, 40 catches, three touchdowns for Sternberger? That I'm I'm thrown a little bit because I don't know if those are low or if they're high. I really don't because Sternberger's such a big unknown. And for as much as I liked what he did those couple of plays in, in that NFC title game. We we honestly just don't know. He he struggled early on in camp last year, got hurt, and then we came back. He looked solid. He was getting open, but again, he wasn't getting the ball. So it's it's so. This is so much more of a projection than any other player on this on this list that you have is is Sternberger. So he's gonna they're gonna have him replace what Jimmy Graham did, and I hopefully he can do that. And hopefully he's more Jermichael Finley than Richard Rogers, but it's gonna be. It's gonna be uh, there's gonna be a learning curve still with, with with Jace and he he didn't get really any run with the number one offense last year and again I I hate to be the beat the dead horse but with with the way everything is going right now how much run is he gonna get with that number one offense before we get to week one so it's it's gonna be tough to see early on what we can expect I think later in the year he'll be getting much more and more targets as he's more and more comfortable. But then again, so will some of these other younger receivers, some of these other younger running backs. So I think these these numbers are pretty accurate. The yards might be a little bit low, but I think the numbers are pretty accurate for Sternberger. But it's but he's he's such an unknown that it's if you're looking at a fantasy standpoint, I wouldn't draft him yet. But I think as far as as an on field as a coach or fan or player, I think I think it, these are good numbers for a young tight end to have and, and to build on for a guy who's still very, very young. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even think that Sternberg has to be that good. You know, I think that he just has to catch the football when it's thrown to him. And honestly, if, if I already talked about this a little bit, but if Jimmy, if Jimmy Graham does that last year, he's having a pretty darn good year for a tight end last year. If he just catches the ball when it hits him in the hands. That's all Sternberger has to do. So if he can do that this year, if that's all the Packers ask him to do, I think he'll be fine. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily an easy thing. That's why these guys get paid millions of dollars to do it. So, um, 
Okay, let's move on to these team tendencies. So what I wanted to do here is I wanted to look at what the Packers do or what they did last year um, or are projected to do this year and some of the other influencing teams from around the league. So I've got Tennessee, Atlanta, San Francisco, and L.A. Uh, Rams listed here. And then I also have the league average. So we can kind of look at what the Packers are doing in terms of uh, what the rest of the league is doing as well. So the number I found super interesting right off the bat is the fact that I have the Packers listed to run 1,020 plays. The league average is 1,021. Packers are running very similar amount of offensive plays to everybody else in the league. Um, I think that's a good place to be. If you're running too many offensive plays, that means your defense. Uh, there's different, you know, there's different different factors that could be going into it. But basically, I, I think being right in the middle of the pack is good for running. Uh, when you're running your offensive plays, you want to keep. You want to be in the middle of the league for all of it. Um, let's see here. And then Tennessee, so we'll just go over Tennessee, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Rams in that order. So Tennessee had 949 offensive plays last year, Atlanta 1,096. So that's one of the higher uh, totals in the league. Uh, San Francisco had 1,012, and the Rams had 1,055. So when I look at this, I honestly think the Packers could run less plays than 1,020. They might creep towards 1,000 and even hit, even slide under it a little bit. I think that they wanted... I think they want to slow down the pace of play a little bit. Um, and when you see Tennessee running at 949, that offense is still running through the Matt LaFleur system, uh, if you will. It's still running through the coaches that came up underneath him. Uh, and then San Francisco, obviously, we know with Kyle Shanahan and, and the system they're running over there is very much what Green Bay wants to do. So I think we're going to see that number 1,020 go down a little bit. What do you think there, Mike? I honestly think it's pretty accurate. I think I think Lafleur wants to kind of be in that league average type spot. It's it's consistent. It's very is very solid. I I, I don't think he'll be under a thousand. I think the Tennessee number is shockingly low. Uh, but I obviously with Derrick Henry and being a big play back and with Tannehill excelling on uh, as a big play quarterback and not necessarily a move the chains consistently type of guy. I think with them it kind of makes sense. Uh, Atlanta's being so freakishly high is yeah is it, <laughs> that makes sense with Atlanta. That we'll get to that in a minute, but the run percentage being so low is something that's gonna I think is gonna be vastly off with Todd Gurley. But I, I think with, with how the Packers run their offense, I think a thousand I think about a league average number of plays is is accurate because I think do I do think they're gonna mix things up. I think what they're gonna do is they'll they'll keep the personnel the same but they'll change the formation so many times that it'll be kind of a no huddle at times. And so I think we'll see some drives where they keep two tight ends, two receivers in the back, but they'll be moving all over the place, but it'll be a no huddle offense where the defense won't have time to adjust and that'll create some mismatches. But I think they're going to be a team that, that holds right around that, that league average spot. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think if they do drop this number, I don't think it's going to be a ton. Uh, it would only be a few points, um, so like one percent, which is like ten plays. Um, but um, moving on then to the pass percentage, you briefly touched on it uh, with Atlanta. I think Atlanta is a huge outlier here. Atlanta also trailed in a lot of games last year. Um, I don't think they live up to this sixty-six percent pass ratio uh, this year. That's quite. That's a lot of passes. Um, so Green Bay is sitting at about fifty-six point seven. That's where I've got them at right now. Um, but I think the most notable here, uh, the Rams are up there with Atlanta, just a, just a tick below Atlanta in terms of the amount of times that they're passing the ball. But they were also down a lot last year. 
but when you look at Tennessee and San Francisco, um, Tennessee at 53% pass and San Francisco at about a little shade under 51. I think that's the number that LaFleur is trying to get closer to. And so my 56.7 might even be a little bit high, honestly. But I, I have to think that you can't take because the Packers were sitting at about 60 this past year. You can't go from 60 to 52 just like that. There has to be a lot of other things to happen. So I tried to pick somewhere in the middle. Um, and uh, so what do you think of that? The league average is 58% pass. Well, that's what surprised me is that they're that, they're that far below the league average. Uh, but but I do think – I think your logic is spot on. I think you're right. And I do think that 56% ending any team with Aaron Rodgers, that's probably what to expect. I think – there will be enough RPO-type plays that he'll look to throw enough that it'll be above 50. Like, San Francisco, I think, is an outlier on their own end because they're pretty much dead even. And we know that Shanahan either – I don't know if it's a lack of trust in Garoppolo, but I think he he favors balance so much that I think that number's accurate. But the number that jumps out to me is that Atlanta number. Like, like you said, that's such a big outlier – if they throw 65% of the time with just under 1,100 plays, Matt Ryan's arm is going to literally fall off. And so I do think that that will change. As that drops, the league average will drop. And so I think the Packers will, again, be right around league average in that pass percentage. And I, I, I think I think at about 56%, I think that's pretty accurate. Because we, we've talked about factoring the running backs in the passing game more. I think that will be a factor as well. So I think that percentage is pretty spot on. Okay, so let's move on to the running back carry distribution. All right, so I have the sli- I have the Packers slated as giving their RB one, so Aaron Jones about forty nine percent of the carries, their RB two about twenty six percent, and their RB three Jamal Williams about ten percent, a little a shade under eleven actually. Um, but when we look at, let me do this real quick. I'm gonna freeze this column. All right, so when we look at the. Uh, We'll call. We'll say. We'll say San Francisco is the team that Lafleur is trying to model right now. He has the RB one at thirty two point four nine percent, so thirty two point five, and a shade under that is thirty one percent with their RB two. So, and their RB three is at nineteen percent. So, there's really no lead back in that backfield. I don't think that that's the identity that Lafleur is trying to to have. Um, but then on the opposite end of that, you have Tennessee. Tennessee gave 68% of their team carries to Derrick Henry last year. That's nuts. That's an insane number. Um, 12% to their RB2 and only 5% to their RB3. I don't think the Packers want that extreme. Uh, we've talked about how I feel like they're trying to preserve uh, they're trying to preserve Aaron Jones' longevity a little bit more. Um, I think that where the Rams in Atlanta are right now, uh, the Rams are sitting about 45% and the Atlanta about 50% for their RB1. And then um, 26% for the Rams RB2 and 21% for Atlanta for RB2. Um, I think that's more where the Packers are going to sit. So what are your thoughts on just this running back carry distribution? No, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think San Francisco or Tennessee are, are the ones to follow in this one. Because one, San Francisco doesn't have Aaron Jones. They're, they're much more balanced. And with, with guys like Mostert and Coleman, I think they're they're going to split much more evenly than we'll see with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And with Tennessee, they're just running Derrick Henry until they can't anymore because they might not be able to keep him. Uh, but I, th- I think the the probably the best model is probably the Atlanta one. I think about 50%, then, to, then in the 20s, whoever Atlanta's RB4 is so high that it's kind of interesting. 
It's a little bit higher, yeah. <laughs> but I do think if the Packers do bring back Aaron Jones and give him an extension, I think 50% is pretty accurate. Because, uh, like you said, you want to project him, protect him for the long term. If you're going to invest in a running back, you, you want to make sure that he's going to be around and he's going to be on the field. So I think about 50% is pretty accurate. So I think the Atlanta numbers are pretty close. However, we may see a bit more run with RB2, close to what the Rams do. But but with the Rams, who knows, because now they don't have Todd Gurley. So that's that's such a fast... Mm-hmm. That's, with LA and Atlanta, the Todd Gurley effect could change how they split their carries. But I do think the Packers' numbers are going to be more in line with those two teams compared to San Francisco's even matchup or Tennessee's extreme dependence on... Derrick Henry. Yeah, and, and you know, just for, just for the sake of conversation here, um, Packers are sitting at 49 and 26 for the RB1 and RB2 carry distribution. The league average is 50 and 26. So they're, I think they're right in line with what um, is going on in the NFL today um, and on the mentality that a lot of teams are having. Um, so I, I also have on here wide receiver carries. I think the only notable one here is the LA Rams. Um, they actually hand their ball off to their wide receivers quite often. A combined six percent for their wide receivers one and two, uh, which I think is more than any other team in the NFL. So I think that's where I really pulled my my carries for Devonte Adams. If you remember, we talked about that during his stat line projection. I do think that there's going to be some wrinkles in the offense in that regard, uh, and I think that that's really where they come from is that LA Rams Sean McVay influence. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, again, again, the Rams doing a lot of those carries with guys like Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. Who are a little more, a little more agile, a little more open field or broken field type guys. But very quickly, I do want to go back to the running back because we talk about their carry percentage. That's not going to be their usage. They're going to get more touches beyond that, obviously. And Aaron Jones is going to be on the field a ton. He just may not get, he's just not going to get the ball as much as he's on the field. He's going to get. He'll, he'll get his touches, but he's he's probably going to be on the field 70% of the time. Right, and I think his utilization rate, which uh, for the sake of transparency, utilization rate is number of touches per snaps. So it, I think his utilization rate is going to be very high. I think he's going to be, when he's on the field, he's getting the ball. I think it's going to be very much like that. Um, but his carry percentage, I think uh, that's just in relation to the, what the rest of the team is doing. So 49% means he'd be getting 49% of the team's carries. Um all right, moving on to RB1, I'm um, sorry, RB1, target percentages for running backs. So the amount of targets that a running back is going to get, the current league average is 10% for RB1, about 7% for RB2, and it just dissipates after that when you get to RB3 and 4. But Green Bay, I have them slated to target Aaron Jones about 13.5% of the time, which is quite a bit um, out, of, out of the backfield, and the RB2 is sitting at 8.3%. So uh, I'm looking at this now. might be a little bit high on my RB2. Uh, it's higher than the other four teams I have listed here, Tennessee, Atlanta, San Francisco, and the Rams. Uh, not one of them is higher than 7.5. Uh, I have the Packers listed at 8.3. Um, but, again, this is what they did last year with uh, Jones and Williams, so maybe that was the floor's way of trying to get Jones some rest in between plays. Um, but looking at the RB1 target percentage, uh, Atlanta targeted their running back 10.69% of the time and the Rams 8% of the time. Um, and then San Francisco and Tennessee were both around 6, 6%. So uh, do you think that 13.55 number could be a little bit high for Aaron Jones? No, I think it's accurate because he's going to be lining up more than just in the backfield. I think we'll see him in the slot a ton. So I, th- I think Aaron Jones will get more touches as RB1 but not lined up at running back. So I think by player, I think that's pretty accurate. 
And, but even looking at the other teams, again, it, personnel matters so much as far as who is what role. Because you look at Tennessee's RB2 was Deion Lewis. So that, that's what led to the 7.5. And I think I think the Packers wanted to use Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon kind of in that way as that change of pace. Whereas you look at someone like San Francisco, they didn't throw to the running backs very often. If they did, they they put Debo Samuel back there. So they they it's it's all on because these positions are great baselines to use. But again, different coaches use different personnel groupings, different ways, and and how different players, different teams use different players. Like again, how is Atlanta getting used? Ty Gurley will he line up wide at times? Will he be the primary back? Will how will the the Rams use their new running backs? How will how will the Rams use Tevin Coleman or or Mostert or or Debo Samuel when he comes back. How does that balance things out? So I think it's different for each team, but I think with Aaron Jones getting target getting lined up out wide and also in the backfield, I think that thirteen and a half percent is pretty accurate because like like you've been like you said, he's arguably your biggest playmaker. You want the ball in his hands. Agreed, agreed. And so um, let's move on to wide receiver targets now. Um, the only team that compares in terms of having a receiver that is of the quality Devontae Adams is going to be Atlanta. Um, and so for the sake of discussion here, I have Green Bay targeting Devontae Adams, their wide receiver one, 24.4% of the time, which is a pretty significant target share for a wide receiver. Um, I have Atlanta sitting at 234 so it's a percent less. Um, and that's because they have, just to be frank, they have better quality receivers behind Julio Jones. Um, Atlanta does. They have a Calvin Ridley, who I also have slotted to get twenty, almost twenty-one percent of the carries. Or, I'm sorry, the targets himself. Um, of these four teams, the Tennessee, Atlanta, San Francisco, and the Rams, uh, compared to Green Bay, I have Green Bay at eleven percent. No other team is below thirteen point seven, um, and that team is the Forty ers who we also know had wide receiver problems last year. So um, I'm not sure if there's a lot to compare here, other than the wide receiver one. Um, the Rams and the Titans definitely favored their wide receiver one decently uh, compared to everybody else. So what are your thoughts here on the wide receiver distributions? I think it's, I think it's accurate. I think it's, it again, again, it goes by personnel because the Rams don't have Brandon Cooks anymore. Right. So it's, it's Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Look at the Rams, it's Julio and Ridley. Tennessee, it's A.J. Brown. But then, you, but the big thing with me, I think, is you look at, San Francisco is yeah, such an outlier because so one, one Debo Samuel's hurt, mm-hmm. and so they're going to be relying on uh, Ayuk a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But also look at for San Francisco, look at their wide receiver one to their tight end one. Right, that is yes. <laughs> that is such a big difference that George Kittle essentially is their wide receiver one. It's true. So it's it's so I think with that being at almost twenty four percent, I think that lines up with what the Packers are going to use for Devontae Adams. So I think. I think that I think that's where it kind of evens out. So I think the twenty four percent with Adams with 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 so many unproven targets behind him, there's going to be. I mean, Matt Lafleur is going to run with what works. So I think, and what worked last year was getting the ball to Devontae Adams and getting the ball to Aaron Jones. So obviously, those two guys are going to get such a majority of of the football that that these target percentages and running percentages make sense for those two guys. No, I completely agree, and it's a it's a great way to look at it because George Kittle is going to be the, the wide receiver one for uh, San Francisco, and um, let's just jump to tight end real quick. Uh, you know, I have the Packers slated eleven point two percent tight end um, target 
target rate that's actually below the league average at 12.7 for the tight end one um, with Tennessee and the Rams sitting around that league average. Uh, Atlanta, they're an outlier. Even though they had Austin Hooper, uh, I, I significantly dropped this number for them going into the next season because they don't have Austin Hooper anymore. Um, but the, the, the 49ers are targeting their tight end one almost twice the league average, which is obviously you're going to do that when you have a guy like George Kittle. But that tight end number for Green Bay, do we think 11% is a little low? Or because we don't know what Jay Sternberger is yet, uh, is that probably correct? I, I think it's more the latter. I think because we don't know, there's so much unknown with him, I think that's probably accurate. Because with Tennessee, they know what John Smith's going to be able to do. Uh, Rams, they know, I think they're still a Gerald Everett. So I think they know what they're going to be able to do with him. So I think with Sternberger, it's such... It's such an unknown factor that I don't think it'll get targeted a ton, especially early on. I think later in the year probably, but until we until Aaron Rodgers knows what he what, what they got in him, I think it's going to take some time. So I think early in the year we're going to see fewer targets to the tight ends and more to the wide receiver running backs. But as we get colder and they rely more on the power game, we'll see more plays to the tight end. So I think I think that's going to factor in, and I think it's going to help a lot of these younger guys, as they get used to the NFL game, that they can adjust as the season goes on and as the weather gets colder, as we get more and more away from, hopefully, what's going on right now. I think that'll help these younger guys out. And and much like we talked about with as far as how much Atlanta is projected to throw the ball, George Kittle's percentage is so beyond insane that it's such an outlier that I think it's gonna, it skews the numbers. So I think if... If you put him even down to 20%, that skews the league average down so much that that puts the Packers almost on line with the league average. Well, you've also got guys to consider like Travis Kelsey. His number, his percentage is also up there. Uh, Mark Andrews is pretty high as well in Baltimore. Um, some of those guys actually, there's probably, I think Darren Waller was pushing 21, 22% as well in uh, Las Vegas. So. When you take those guys out, yeah, it probably drops down. But there's probably four or five tight ends. Zach Ertz is up there, too, that really push that league average up as a whole. Because I think most teams are sitting between 10 to probably 13%. Um, so 12% is probably right. It's just a little high. I think it'd probably be closer down to maybe 11 um, if we take out those those top four or five guys. Well, then Atlanta could go up, even though they did lose super. Hayden Hurst is still a pretty solid receiving tight end as well. I think that's remained to be seen. I, I understand that. I uh, I see where people come from, and I um, just because I don't agree with it, I do understand the logic there. I'm just not a Hayden Hurst believer, and I wasn't when he was 25 years old and drafted in the first round. So I don't know how much more he can grow. Um, let's see here. Hey, old people are football players too. <laughs> I know it's all about the it's all about the growth, especially at tight end, a position that takes a couple years to really grow into. Um, I'm not sure how much more he can develop as an NFL player. But um, let's look at now the final piece of information today, the strength of schedule that I built. So the strength of schedule that I built um, involves looking, um, it's from a fantasy perspective, so it's completely, um, it's completely pretty much based on Packers offensive players and the, def- the defenses that they will be playing. So I have quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Um, so, Let's just kind of go through here and highlight some games where maybe 
certain players or certain position groups are gonna should be having big days or are gonna struggle expectedly. You know, different um, different things that we can see basically with these numbers. I know I know everybody here can't see the the big old schedule that we're looking at, but um, what what's the first one that sticks out to you here when you start looking through weeks one to seventeen and what and the different strengths of schedule for each position group? I'm surprised Houston's is so low, honestly, because with with the pass rush they have, that could be tougher on a quarterback than people think. So it's it's interesting to to to, to think that, but then again, their back seven is pretty weak. But but I I, I find it tough to think a team that has Whitney Merciless and JJ Watt to be in the 20s for every single category. So I think that one just kind of sticks out to me. Other than that, I think it's pretty accurate. Detroit's defense we know is not good. San Francisco's is obviously very good. So I think otherwise it kind of balances out. But that Houston one just kind of surprised me looking at it. Well, when you when you factor in Houston, what you got to factor in for last year is J.J. Watt missed a lot of time last year. So these, these numbers, the way I derived them was based off of the ranks, their defensive ranks and their statistics from last year. Um, not only was J.J. Watt missing significant, significant time last year, the Houston Texans were putting up a lot of points. They were putting up a lot of points. So teams were coming out gunning, you know, to really kind of keep up with the Texans because they played in a lot of shootouts last year. So that's going to really deflate, or I'm sorry, inflate those um, defensive numbers for opposing offenses because the opposing offense is just trying to keep up. And so I think that's how the number really arrives in the mid twenties for all of these. Um, I think the numbers will go down a little bit this year with the return of J.J. Watt. Um, we'll see. I don't know what Houston... I'm trying to remember what the moves that Houston made defensively to really get better in the secondary, but uh, I think the numbers go down a little bit, so maybe that Houston matchup isn't going to be as easy as appearing on here. I think the one that's really going to surprise a lot of people is just uh, how Green Bay struggles against the run, um, or with the run against Tampa Bay, um, because Tampa Bay last year was notoriously one of the best defenses against the run. I think that they kept that core together, and they're going to be, again, one of the best defenses against the run this year. Um, and another one, another one that sticks out to me that a lot of people probably aren't expecting. Um, it, actually, I don't – actually, that's probably – San Francisco is probably the – Chicago is probably the second toughest opponent overall. Um, but, I mean, go San Francisco, Chicago, maybe the Saints after that. But the Packers actually have a pretty favorable offensive schedule, I think. Um, Aaron Rodgers is going to be facing some pass-happy defenses. Uh, so he'll be he, – he should have a decent year. You know, that's kind of what I gathered from this. Detroit, they get to play twice a year, who's had a terrible pass defense for the past how many seasons? Um, even with Aaron their – And it, Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't have Slay anymore. He's in Philly. So the Packers still get to see Slay this year. Um, but, you know, they get to go to Indy. That's a tough place to play. So even though – do they go to Indy? I they had that one right. But um, anyway, the point is they get to play Indy. Indy's never an easy opponent to play either. I think that there's some interesting matchups on here. Uh, I'm, I'm most excited for the Tennessee one in Week 16 uh, for obvious reasons. I think that that's going to be a really interesting game. But um, do you see any stretches where the offense could be struggling here? Like any stretches of three or four games that – that really would stick out to you as a place where uh, we might expect a little bit less offensive production. Yeah, I, I see a six-game stretch from week eight to 13. Honestly, because it starts with Minnesota, which I think is a Sunday night game. 
and they and would and Minnesota obviously is going to be a tough team. But then you go which I, I think it's a Thursday is San Francisco. So mm, that, that's a that's a tough stretch. But then you get a a, a week, but the, in Jacksonville, which at this point who has any idea what the Jaguars are going to do? They don't even know. But then but then you get Indy, Chicago, and Philadelphia. Those are all talented teams. Two, I think, playoff caliber teams, and and Chicago, who's got a good defense. So I think that that's a tough. That's gonna be a tough stretch, especially for the running game. So I think I think that's where we'll see maybe a bit more AJ Dillon to try and wear teams down. I think that's when we'll start seeing more AJ Dillon. But it's a team like that, like like India, India in particular. Like you talked about them, they're they're not gonna make a ton of plays, but they also don't give up that many. And when you have guys like Darius Leonard out there, they, they're so sure tackling and that they they don't let guys get free from them, that that's going to be a grinded-out type of game. So I think that six-week stretch will say a lot about where this team is at and where the Packers can, can do next year. Because after that, you I mean, you end with three average to below-average defenses in Detroit, Carolina, and Tennessee. Before that, you have Houston, you have Atlanta, Detroit again early on. So I think that middle six stretch is going to be very telling as to whether the Packers are Super Bowl contenders again. Well, the the overarching thing that I'm noticing here is that the Packers are actually having a – they actually have a relatively difficult run defense schedule. So they want to run the ball, but their defense – the the defenses that they'll be facing don't necessarily indicate that that's what they should be doing. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Ford does. Um Obviously, you know, he gets paid the big bucks for that reason to, to figure those things, those types of things out. But uh, that's just one observation that I can make from this is that they do play a lot of pretty good run defenses throughout the year. Um, overall, uh, the Packers have the uh, fifth easiest, um, fifth easiest quarterback uh, schedule. So Aaron Rodgers, it. You know, when you have Aaron Rodgers and you have a pretty easy quarterback schedule, that's pretty good. You know, that's, that's something that you definitely want. Um, and then they have the second easiest wide receiver schedule and the 16th easiest, so dead average, tight end schedule. So, realistically, we should be seeing some good numbers from Aaron Rodgers and the wide receivers uh, this year. Uh, the Packers have the third hardest running back schedule in the entire NFL. So, We'll have to see for sure because I think if the Packers are going to be successful in the run game, it's probably going to be set up with success in the passing game and vice versa. It's going to have to be they're going to have to be mirrored off of each other, and I know that's exactly what Lukwara wants to do. So, um, last bit of information here: the 22nd uh, overall schedule. So, basically, out of 32, they have the 22nd hardest schedule. So, um, lower half of the league, but you know, it's it's the NFL. You're going to have to win games. Uh, with by making plays anyway, and you're not going to be able to blow every single opponent out. So they're going to have to win win a couple of games by a few scores, and that's fine. But uh, any final thoughts on this, or any final thoughts on anything before we start to sign off? No, I think when you look at the schedule, it makes sense. It's it's a division champions schedule, so you got to expect it's going to be a little tougher, and we'll see how they handle it. And by I, again, I think it'll help with having to play some of these teams early on. So a team like New Orleans, who we we still don't quite know what what they're going to do, so I think that'll help playing them early. Whereas a team like Carolina later in the year, I think helps them out in that way as well. So I think that I think the schedule rankings it, they're great they're great metrics to have, but I think we've both agreed over the years that at times it doesn't matter as much until we get later in the year. Right. There's conversation pieces for the most part right yeah. now. Yeah. 
Yeah, because we have, we don't know how health is going to go if there's a coaching change or or what what happens. So that that remains to be seen. But I, I I think I think these are all great numbers to discuss, especially we're less than a month away from when camps are supposed to open up. So I think that'll be it's going to be fun to see. Uh, completely agree. And uh, how about you take us on out of here, Mike? All right, sounds good. Uh, I'll start with myself this time. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Wenlint. Uh, just interact with me. I, I love talking to any sort of sport. I'm looking forward to being able to talk football, baseball, basketball, hockey, everything as it starts to return to normal to an extent. So I'm looking forward to that. And again, just feel free to chat with me. I'm always going to be around. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And Tyler, where can people find you and what are you working on? Uh, yep, as always, on Twitter, at Tyler underscore Grez. If you want any of this information that we went over today, I'd be happy to share it with you. Just reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Tyler, uh, T-Y-L-E-R underscore G-R-E-Z. Um, I'd be happy to share it with you and discuss it with you further. Um, I have a lot of information about all this stuff, so if you if you have ever have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, my DMs are open for that. So um, on top of that, I'm working on... Um, Dynasty, I'm working at Dynasty Universe, working and getting the weekly column set up for in-season, if the season happens now at this point. Um, uh, working on stuff for the Scott Fishbowl, uh, I've been promoting that a lot. Um, and then I've also recently uh, joined another organization, which I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say out loud yet what we're doing, but basically uh, we're putting together something special, so keep an eye out for that uh, with Jacob Westendorf and Jason Perone and crew. So keep an eye out for that. Um, other than that, I mean, other than that, that was a lot, but... Just I'm always on Twitter, so if you I'm always down to interact and chat about anything. So um, all my interests are listed on the profile. So if you have any questions or want to chat, let me know. I'll be on there and uh, I'll definitely definitely chat you up a little bit. Absolutely, and of course, also find us at Packaday Podcast and also wherever podcasts can be found as well. We will be there. So for Tyler Grizzly Gork, this is Mike Lemon saying so long, so everyone stay safe, always carry the G, and as always, go pack go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.